Today's New Testament lesson is from the book of Luke, chapter 15. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. 
But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Indeed, thank you, Lynn, for reading the entire chapter of Luke 15. I was really excited to have that entire chapter read because all three of those parables are so good, but then staff was giving me a really hard time (laughs) in our pre-worship meeting about how long that was. So I hope that you stuck in there, um, hung in there with all of those readings because I'm gonna kind of go through them all a little bit um, tonight. So let's dig in. I don't have many memories from my childhood, really. I have this over general sense of well-being and happiness, but not many really stark memories from my early childhood. Maybe you can relate. I do, however, have a couple that are very vibrant and clear in my mind, and they both have to do with feeling like I was lost. The first one was at the Cumberland Science Museum. If you're original Nashvilleian, that's now the Adventure Science Center back then, the Cumberland Science Museum. And I was trying to show something, I think, to my dad. And I'm like looking at this thing and I'm telling him all about it. And I look up and the person standing there was not my dad. It was another man. And I had this moment of like, oh, I am totally lost. Like, I don't know where my parents were. They were just around the corner. I wasn't lost. But the same kind of feeling came at shoe carnival in cool springs i don't even know if it's there anymore but same kind of deal i'd found this this pair of shoes that i really loved and i had them in the box and i'm looking down and i'm running down the aisle to this person who i thought was my mom and i go to open the shoes and i'm like look at these shoes and look up to see if she liked them too and it was not my mom and again i had this moment of panic that i was lost the three parables we read tonight are meant to go together And they are all about something being lost or ourselves being lost. First, one sheep out of a hundred is lost. Then one coin out of 10. Then what I would argue is two sons in the parable that I will focus on tonight go missing. Now, side note, this parable is typically referred to as the prodigal son, but before I dig too much into this last parable, let's set the scene of these stories of being lost and found. If you notice in the first couple of verses, Jesus is sitting down with both tax collectors and sinners both notably irreligious sort of folks in the Gospels, people that obviously don't have their acts together by standard Jewish law interpretation. Very much so to the naked eye, to the people around them, their neighbors, unfaithful people. And then there are also the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, in contrast to the tax collectors and the sinners, again, people who seem obviously have their acts together, the fair, or don't have their acts together, the Pharisees and the scribes do seem to have their acts together. They would have been, at least the Pharisees, preachers kind of, they are religious leaders, and to society, to the people around them, these religious leaders would have, in theory, had their act together. They would have been the good church-going sort of people, as we say here in the South. So there's this mixed crowd, right? Furthermore, we would know if we knew the rest of the gospels that even though the Pharisees and the scribes are supposed to be righteous, 
that Jesus is struggling with these Pharisees and scribes. We can even tell by the fact that the Pharisees and scribes were in these passages, quote, grumbling and saying, I imagine in a disapproving, judgy sort of way, this fellow, talking about Jesus, welcomes sinners and he eats with them. We know Jesus has continually pushed against their interpretation and implementation, the way that they live out the laws of the Torah, the laws of God. In essence, the Pharisees and the scribes may appear that they have their act together, but frankly, they don't. Anyways, in the midst of this crowd, Jesus tells these three stories, again, stories about being lost, a sheep, one in 100, a coin, one in 10, and then two sons. In each story, something is lost and then found. And also, something that's maybe less focused on when we read these is that things are counted. These are stories of counting, searching for what is missing, and then celebrating becoming whole again. Dr. A.J. Levine and Dr. Sandy Sasso wrote a great children's book called Who Counts? 100 Sheep, 10 Coins, and Two Sons. In this retelling for children of these three parables, they focus on this full message of counting, searching, and being made whole or found. They write in the note to parents and teachers in the back, the shepherds count the sheep. That's how he knows one is missing. The woman counts the coins. That's how she is aware that one is lost. Then finally, the father realizes that although his younger son has returned, he has lost his older son, probably after he starts counting the folks at the younger son's return party and realizes someone is missing. Now you may be thinking, okay, Allison, I mean, obviously there is counting in these stories, but what's your point? This is so important to get the full breadth of what is going on here in this parable. So let's dig in. Remember how I said both sons are lost as it just posed to one, the prodigal son? When we focus on this parable in Luke 15, the final parable we read today, I think the most common way to hear this story told and preached is to focus on the beautiful return of the prodigal son. Remember how I said both sons are lost as opposed to one? The younger son asks for his inheritance from his dad before he would naturally get it, which his dad gives him, and then the son takes it, essentially runs away from home, and blows the inheritance on a bunch of nonsense. One translation, in fact, the one we read tonight, says he squandered his property in dissolute living. He ends up in such a bad shape that he is jealous of the pigs that he cares for that are eating pods, like seed things, I guess. This is absolute rock bottom for a Jewish man at the time. He has nothing. He is jealous of pigs, which are dirty, filthy by Jewish law standards. This younger brother, this younger son, he is the one like the sinners and the tax collectors that Jesus is telling these parables to. He is the one that obviously does not have his act together. The townspeople probably are talking about him. Did you hear about that dude, Isaiah? He took his inheritance, went to a foreign land and partied doing whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted to, so irresponsible. 
His story reminded me of a couple of testimonials I heard from some wonderful women who lived at Mending Hearts here in Nashville. If you don't know Mending Hearts, it's similar to our ministry, Healing Housing, where women who have struggled with addiction can find a supportive, loving home to recover. Crystal wrote, I had hit the bottom of a dark, cold, lonely pit. I had lived 17 years of complete self-destruction. I did not care who I took down with me along the way. My whole life, I never felt like I fit in anywhere. My goal was to escape the world I existed in. I would have sold my soul for my next fix. Sometimes I wonder if that's what I had done. I never knew there was another way to live. Alicia wrote, I had been living in my addiction for 30 years before I came to Mending Hearts. I am now 40 years old. I grew up with my mom who was on drugs and she let me do drugs with her at age nine. By the time I was 14, I was addicted and always looking for my next high. I was involved with prostitution, drug possession, and did some jail time. During these years, I had two children and lost my son to a gunshot to his head. I tried to get clean and just could never do it. These women were lost, eventually self-admittedly very lost. They had spun into a spiral that they couldn't get themselves out of. Many of the women there talk about how they had been outcast by their families, their friends, the people around them. No one would give them anything. They felt like they had nowhere to return. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you can relate to this youngest son. Maybe you have struggled with addiction now or in your past to the point where you have found yourself feeling like there is nowhere to go or nowhere to return. Or maybe your own story isn't about struggling with addiction, but you still relate to this younger son. Maybe you just feel like you can't get your life together and you feel like the people around you are turning their backs on you. Maybe you can't seem to hold a job or just can't seem to ever pay the bills. Maybe these are because of your own choices or maybe not. But maybe you feel like this younger son for some reason. Maybe you feel like him, not worthy of love and compassion, hitting rock bottom or somewhere close to it, not feeling worthy of someone caring about you. You know why we usually focus on this younger son when we talk about this parable? You know why we usually call this parable the prodigal son, which is a made up title by the way? Because it is truly, almost unbelievably beautiful. When this younger son has hit rock bottom, when his shame has taken over, when he feels like he has no other options, he decides to return to his father. He goes back to his dad full of apologies, but it almost appears that his dad doesn't even care that his son is repentant because on first sight of his son from far away, his dad takes off running towards him. I just imagine this full on sprinting, not caring how ridiculous he looks, but full of love and joy and grace for his son who was lost, but has returned and now is found. His son apologizes, but I imagine the dad sort of not even listening to his apology, just taking in and celebrating his son's presence. And he calls to his slaves to throw this huge extravagant party to celebrate his son's return, full of the highest of honors, the best robe, not any robe, the best robe, the family ring, the fattened calf, all of it, the best party you can imagine. 
If you feel like you relate to this younger son for whatever reason, this is a message for you. God's grace and compassion and love for you is just like the father's love for his son in this story. It is abundant. It is overflowing. It is full of forgiveness and freedom and healing and celebrating that you have said yes to Christ. You have come home. God's love is so overflowing for you that it does not matter what you have done in the past. It doesn't even matter what you are doing this exact minute because Jesus wants you just as you are ready to come to him. You don't have to be perfect. You are absolutely worthy of Jesus's love and grace just as you are. Jesus wants to be in a relationship with you. You are his son, you are his daughter, and he is your loving parent. That right there is a good word, y'all. But we aren't done yet, because I'm a preacher and I talk too much. (laughs) So remember when I said these stories were about not just being lost and found, but about counting. And also this last parable wasn't just about one lost prodigal son, but about two lost sons. Well, Dr. Levine and Dr. Sasso, who I referred to earlier, in their commentary on these parables, invite us into thinking about the counting that is happening before it is discovered that something is lost. I found this to be very powerful. The shepherd counts 99 sheep before he realizes just one is lost. I've never been a shepherd of sheep, but I feel like counting 99 moving animals that all look kind of the same would be a very tedious task. In fact, I had never thought about it before, honestly, but it seems so tedious walking amongst the fields just to discover if one little sheep is missing that it actually seems a very devout and loving act of love and care to count those sheep that stick around. It's so beautiful and powerful that the shepherd will go and look for the one lost sheep and It is also so beautiful and powerful that the shepherd will take the time and care to count the sheep that stick around in the first place. The woman who lost the coin, she certainly spends all night looking for the lost one, but she wouldn't have even known it was lost if she had not taken the time and care to count all of her coins to begin with. Remember, Jesus is telling his lost son's parables to the Pharisees and the scribes too. The ones that appear and maybe even think that they have it all together. I mean, I know they get a bad rap a lot of the times, and sometimes it's very warranted. (laughs) But I would think most of them are decently good people trying to be faithful in the ways that they at least know how. And we are reading it today as Christians, possibly. And maybe you're thinking, honestly, I don't really relate to that younger prodigal son. I mean, I've lived a pretty by-the-book sort of a life. I really try to love others, spread the message of Jesus, care for my neighbor, pray, worship, all the things, be responsible. If this is you, you, my friend, this is also me, my friend, we may relate to the older brother. We may relate to the sheep that stick around in the first place. I'm not really a wanderer, to be perfectly honest, kind of bland. (laughs) We may relate as much as we can, I guess, to the coin that sticks around. 
But this older brother, he often gets overlooked in sermons and teaching. But what's so interesting to me is that the placement of his particular focus, his particular part of the parable is actually at the climax of the story. The older brother is actually the focus of the story in so many ways. And this is a deal about the older brother. He's at least a faithful dude on the surface. He has tried to uphold the Jewish law and love God and family and neighbor as much as we can tell. He's been faithful to his father and to his family, at least not run away and squandered his inheritance. I imagine him caring for his father and himself and maybe the rest of his family when his younger brother runs off. That must have been emotionally toiling. It sounds like he even had to pick up a lot of extra work around the farm because of his younger brother. And when his younger brother comes back, no one even cares to go out and get him and tell him of his brother's return. They just party without him. I feel bad for the older brother. He's always painted in this awful, jealous, angry, ungrateful light. And who would not be mad if you had lived all these years as a faithful son or daughter, only to not even be tracked down when your younger brother returns? I mean, how can you not be a little bit resentful? Poor older brother. Poor me. Poor us. See what I did there? This older brother, this is the thing, he's lost too. And I get it. I would be a resentful, angry guy too. I mean, seriously, I would. In fact, I'm reminded of all the on my hands and knees, scrubbing the shower, making the dinner, tantrum loving, no more candy, no more TV, balancing the work and kids at home, trying to do my quiet time and pray and be in the Bible study and call and check on a friend going through a hard time, long COVID days, husband working 15 hour days that have left me utterly exhausted. And no one stopped to say thank you. No one found me and threw me a gigantic party and I just stewed at my own self-righteousness. I feel bad for the older brother because I am him. And maybe you are too. And he was lost. In a different, less obvious way than the younger brother, but man, that older brother needed to come back and be found too, right? In the book, The Parables from the Backside, author J. Ellsworth Callis writes, it's obvious that the younger brother was wasting himself. He did it conspicuously and dramatically in drunken parties and in settings where he would call out, I'll buy drinks for everyone here. It was easy to see that he was wasting his life away because he was doing so with such flourish. And of course, it was easy to see how such a life would turn out. There came a time when he was threadbare, dirty, hungry, feeding pigs and wishing he could eat as well as the pigs did. It was easy to see how the younger brother wasted himself and what came of it. But the older brother was wasting his life away too not as obviously or dramatically as the younger brother, but just as harmfully and ultimately just as tragically. While the younger brother wasted himself in crude, riotous living, the older brother one did so in mean, small, selfish living. And this next word, I mean, it is so convicting to me. Callus writes, 
I have worked in rescue missions where I've seen how a human being can throw his or her life away, but I've also had the same feeling in tasteful middle-class and upper-middle-class homes. Is it really any more of a waste for an alcoholic to spend all he or she has on liquor than for someone to purchase a closet full of clothes and shoes? Materialism, too, is an intoxication. I wonder what my Amazon delivery guy would think about me. I feel for the older brother, but if he is truly living a selfless, faithful life, yeah, he might have gotten angry for a second that he wasn't celebrated, but he would have straight up run in that house when he heard and started celebrating too. Instead, he stops on the porch. His father comes outside and begs him to come inside. You have always been with me, son. I love you. Literally everything I have is yours. Just come in and celebrate that the family has been reunited. Your little brother is back. And we don't know the older brother's response. What happens to him? It feels like Jesus leaves out the end of the story. Older brother is standing out on the porch, arm cra- arms crossed in stewing resentment, his dad begging him to come in. Such a frustrating ending because that's it. But it's also the beauty of parables, the invitation to find ourselves, yourself, in them, and how Jesus is calling you. Are you the younger son, obviously wondering, obviously lost, needing, wanting to be found, Jesus is searching for you. I guarantee it. It is the promise of the gospel. You just have to open yourself up to being found and what a beautiful reunion it will be. Are you the older brother? Feeling like you're doing everything right, but then realizing you feel lost, unworthy, maybe a little self-righteous too? So many of us have been there. We need to open ourselves to Christ's grace that continues, never stops redeeming and renewing us too. One commentator I read said, the great yearning of this parable is that we might allow ourselves to be welcomed home as well. Make the decision to go into the party and dance and sing. The anger or the not wanting to admit your loss, the independence, the individualism, whatever it is that's holding you outside on the porch. Come on, let's go in and dance. For this is a thing, what a beautiful party it will be for the older, younger and younger brothers and sisters and parents and singles, everyone. We won't be perfect. We certainly won't always be feeling perfect or happy or hopeful. We will make mistakes and we'll go through hard seasons of life, but in those seasons, we will be filled with a kind of deep inner knowing of joy and hope that surpasses all understanding when we open ourselves to being found and welcomed by God. Our lives will become that even in the midst of the hard seasons, we will be ready to get up and dance. And I love to dance. And if you don't literally love to dance, like my husband, hi Andrew, fill in the blank. Jesus is inviting us into something absolutely life altering. 
over and over again, no matter where you come from, what you've done in the past, no matter where you think your life is headed, no matter where you are now, whether you feel lost or found or somewhere in between, Jesus is counting you already. And he wants to find you if you will let yourself be found. Amen.